is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Warden, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Welcome one and all to the Beaver Tales podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Josh Warden. On this podcast, I talk with former Beaver athletes to get their memories from Oregon State, their highlights since leaving OSU, and what they've learned as people and how they've matured since Oregon State. Tyler Malone is my guest today. On the podcast, he was a national champion with the baseball program in 2018, was the designated hitter for that baseball team in the College World Series. He actually tied the World Series record with three home runs in Omaha alone. He was named to the College World Series All-Tournament team in 2018. His three-run home run against Mississippi State helped send OSU to the College World Series Finals where OSU defeated Arkansas best out of three. Tyler was drafted by the San Diego Padres and has finished one year of pro baseball in their organization. He switched positions. He was an outfielder in his final year at Oregon State in 2019. He's now playing behind the dish. Ironically, on the Oregon State roster, Tyler's position was listed as infield slash outfield which is a friendly way of saying he's a utility player that basically plays everywhere on the field except pitcher and, I suppose, catcher. And ironically, the position he switched to in the professional ranks was catcher. And so the Sacramento native making a change baseball-wise. And we also talk about his maturity and his recollection of what got him through a really difficult freshman season. You may have seen him win the national championship in 2018, But things were not so smooth for Tyler in 2017. So he explains that and talks about what life has been like since then. Hopefully you're enjoying the Beaver Tales podcast. And I hope you also are able to check out a nonprofit that I like to mention on this podcast and use this platform to help charities like Convoy of Hope, which is launching a campaign to go beyond 10 million meals in response to COVID-19, helping people all around the country who are in need. They also do international work, helping people around the world be empowered and gain independence and freedom from poverty, disease, and hunger. Convoy of Hope has been operating since 1994, founded right near Sacramento, in Tyler Malone country, in fact. And you can check them out at convoyofhope.org. That's convoyofhope.org. All right, Tyler Malone is my guest today on the podcast, Oregon State Baseball National Champion. And oh yes, we'll talk a fair amount about the College World Series towards the latter half of our conversation. Here is Tyler Malone on the Beaver Tales podcast. Enjoy. Tyler Malone is my guest on the Beaver Tales podcast. Tyler, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You uh, are just kind of getting started in pro baseball. You played in 2019, was your final year at Oregon State, got drafted by the San Diego Padres. How would you say year one went of rookie ball in the Padres organization? Yeah, I mean, it was great. You know, the Padres, they definitely treat us right. And, uh, I mean, I was kind of in a unique situation because I was converting positions. So I played right field in college at Oregon State. And then when I got drafted, we kind of started that transformation of converting me into a catcher. So I just went to Arizona basically right after the draft. And it's a lot different situation than most cases because, like, a lot of guys go to short season and stuff like that where – 
you know, they begin all like the traveling and the long bus rides and everything. But because I was in Arizona, everything was just super close because um, I was just at kind of the spring training facilities. Gotcha. So you're making that switch to catcher. How would you say in terms of the spectrum of just starting it out to completing the transition to, to a certain degree, there's, there is no such thing as completing. You'll always be growing and developing as a player, but as much as you hope to grow into, where would you put yourself on that track of becoming uh, a pro catcher? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I fell in love with it pretty quickly. There's, I, you know, I kind of took it for granted. Rutch made it look super, super easy back there. I mean, obviously, like we knew he was, you know, the best catcher in the country, and we got spoiled a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just fell in love with the art of receiving, and it's kind of just an interesting time right now because catching itself is evolving um a lot, whether it's you know setups or receiving styles and everything. And so I've kind of been able to tinker with stuff. But yeah, I fell in love with that and uh, the Padres, they're liking how things are going. Um, I mean, obviously it's going to be, you know, it's going to take some time to like truly figure out type of thing. But I mean, I just remember my first three months, like I felt like I was busting my thumb at least once a week. I mean, it was super funny because when I got there, you know, I looked at the schedule and it was like one o'clock early work, 245 Malone bullpen. So I literally have not caught since I was like 12 years old nothing over you know probably 65 miles an hour and then I get there the first day and then I had a catcher who was I think it was our second or third rounder who throws like mid nines and I made it through the bullpen but that just kind of began the trek of you know just bust my thumb every week and then yeah it took about like three months for me to truly figure out the timing aspect of it because we get antsy and we want to go get it where it's more like staying back and intercepting it type of thing but when I started to figure that out it all kind of began to click and my thumb was very fortunate of that too. <laughs> Got to go back to the old days of putting the sponge in the mitt and giving some extra cushion. Oh, I know. Yeah, like I, I had this like little pad thing on my hand, and and uh, you know I had the thumb guard and everything, but because I was just on the machine so much too, I mean I was having to do you know like three times the amount of reps as all of these other catchers have been catching all their lives. So my hand was like all swollen and everything, but it began to get used to it a little bit. The art of framing pitches is so fun to watch and unique to baseball of, you know, getting that ball that's technically a half inch outside the zone and the best catchers are so talented at bringing that back in. I mean, even game three of the College World Series, that very last pitch that Kevin Abel threw, it looked a little low to me, but Adley, yeah. Adley framed it, strike three, Luke Bonfield's out, and that's how you won the national championship. You would have won yeah. e anyways, even if that's called a ball, yeah, would have gotten the out, but that sort of thing is so yeah. fun to watch. What have you learned about framing pitches and maybe appreciating Adley as you learned yeah. to do that? And you remember how he used to do it at Oregon State? What have you learned about framing? Yeah, because I mean, and that's even crazy. So like kind of going back to the College World Series thing, it's like I've even began to understand and just have this sense of respect for catchers so much more because catchers are getting a lot of balls called for strikes. You know what I'm saying? Like they should be balls but they get him for strikes, just like Adley did for that last pitch. And that's even brings up the debate about going to the robot umpires or, you know, the robot technology strike zone stuff. It kind of just takes all of that and throws it away. So I, and that makes it weird for me because it's like, I'm getting into it, but I've heard that, you know, this may be coming in a couple of years or whatever. So, I mean, that makes me sad because of how, you know, how much I fell in love with it. But what like I figured out is it's a lot of moving the baseball, but it's how you move it and how well your timing is. Something that's helped me a lot is kind of our pre-pitch. 
and and how we start working our hand before the ball starts coming at us because there's a lot of guys starting to work below the ball now so because traditionally speaking catcher used to just keep their glove up when they would go to catch the ball a lot of guys would take the ball out of the zone I mean even though like Adley does that for example he keeps his glove up but he's very good at maintaining that and not having the ball take his glove out of the zone. He's super good at, at sticking the ball and stuff like that. But a lot of guys and like guys like me who are just getting into it, I feel like it's been very beneficial for me to like work under the ball and more. It's more of like intersecting it as you move up um, through the zone. And basically that's how you see the guys start getting those low pitches because they're intersecting that ball as their arms are moving up through the zone to make it look like it's more in the strike zone type of thing. And yeah, I mean, inside, outside, it's just kind of working around the ball and getting having that good um, set up to just kind of have that shoulder, you know, bring that guy back in. Um, but I mean, it's super subtle movements and and it's just and it's just crazy to me because I've grown up watching baseball my entire life and I was always looking at the hitter or the pitcher for for instance and I just like I said I, I took catching for granted and now it's like when I watch games my eyes go straight to the catcher because I just want to see how they go about things and their tendencies and it's a very nuanced craft, framing pitches and just catcher as a whole. It's a very complicated position. So good luck on the rest of that journey on, on growing in that now that you're, uh, you know, continue to play for the Padres. Elsewhere in terms of what you're doing right now in pro ball and what you hope to do after baseball, whether that's, you know, maybe 10, 15 years down the road, depending on how long baseball takes you. But you were a history major at Oregon State in terms of what life after baseball would look like whenever that may be what's a, an aspiration of what you hope to accomplish whenever that comes yeah I mean obviously like I'm gonna try to play baseball as long as I can but uh but yeah I mean I, I went into college not truly aware of like what I wanted to major in so the first two years I was just kind of do the undergrad stuff and didn't truly commit to anything but like as I was thinking about it, I've always just liked history. I've always loved my history classes growing up and then even trying to figure out because traditionally, you know, like a lot of baseball players, you know, will go business or sports guys, just for sports, sports people in general, will go business, communications, you know, sociology, stuff like that. But I was just trying to find something that would like truly maintain my interest. And the thing about history, I feel like it touches on so many different aspects of life and like you just learn because history has everything within it. I feel like I was able to learn the most and like grow as a person. And, and traditionally speaking, you know, people will think history majors and they'll be like, Oh, like you want to teach. And um, yeah, like I'd love to keep that, you know, opportunity and possibility open, whether, you know, I'd, you know, teach high school and coach high school. But a lot of the things that people don't know are a lot of history majors get business jobs too. Um, so I'm just trying to basically, keep my options open um, the best that I possibly can and not kind of just pigeonhole me into one thing right now um, because I truly don't know like uh, what exactly I want to do but I just want to keep those options open and even if you know I might have to get my master's or whatever um, because I think D1 coaches now or D1 head coaches have to have their master's so that might be something I might like look into as well but yeah I'm just trying to keep all my options open and just kind of see where the life takes me one more broad question about your life and what you've got going on before we go back and talk about 2018 and your time with the beavers overall as you've spent gosh not even a year basically since leaving Corvallis I believe since you played in the spring of 2019 
you've talked about your appreciation for history, your aspirations there, what you've learned as a baseball player, but as a person, just in terms of what is important to Tyler Malone and, and who yeah. you've become and, and what defines you as a person, it's always interesting to see, you know, especially when players transition away from sports of what becomes their identity when it's no longer sports or even as they continue in their professional career, which baseball could still define you for a number of more years. But what has become your, your identity and important to you as you've transitioned away from Oregon State? Yeah, I mean, something that I'll take from Oregon State that'll last, you know, my entire life is just how much I was able to grow as a person. I mean, being from Sacramento, because I, yeah, I'm originally from California, you know, going up to Oregon, I wasn't close to home and stuff like that. And just baseball itself, I'm super hard on myself, wasn't performing, you know, how I'd like to be expected. Thought like, you know, I had a lot of expectations on me. So I, I put a lot of like pressure on myself and stuff like that. So looking back at it, my freshman year was like super hard for me as a person and just you know, learning how to fit in with the guys and like being with older guys and stuff like that. And just being with that group. Um, I just had to like learn a lot about myself and mature as a person. And then so that year, I mean, looking back at it, like, I, I don't know, like, I, I would say that like, I, I was depressed, I kind of just like sectioned myself off. I felt like I'm a pretty outgoing and fun guy, usually. And I just felt like I kind of sectioned myself off from everything. So in those times where it was a new part of my life that I wasn't really used to and I didn't really know how to handle it, but uh, that's when I would say my faith as a Christian grew the most. We, we have this team chaplain, um, his name's Chad Weaver, and he was great. Like we always had access to him, you know, we would do team Bible studies and stuff like that. And I mean, growing up, I was always... You know, I was raised in a Christian household. You know, we would go to church when we could. I mean, I was usually playing on the weekends. Uh, we had like tournaments on the weekends, but we try to go to church when I could. But I didn't truly understand like the relationship that I needed with Jesus. And through that time, I was realizing that baseball would affect who I was as a person. And, you know, I'd often like take it off the field and, you know, I just wasn't being myself. So I realized that my identity was in baseball and I, you know, I had to put my identity in something else that wasn't so much of a roller coaster type thing. And, you know, that's when my relationship with Jesus got a lot stronger. And I just realized that God made each and every one of us for a reason and a purpose. And if we were, you know, holding ourselves back or being somebody that we aren't, we can't basically perform or do the things that he wants us to do in our life type of thing so I mean that's just when I kind of found my peace and my and my confidence and in, in who I am as a person and you know ever since then you know my outlook and everything's been totally different I appreciate that I always like to delve into exactly what it is that players athletes or just people in general rely on when things get tough regardless of what that foundation is to find how do you interact with that? How do you rely on that thing, whether it is their faith or their relationships or their mm -hmm. marriage or whatever it may be? So yeah. for you, in terms of, let's say, your faith, what would that say, your belief system, what would that say to a person like you where maybe even use the word depressed or someone who's really strung out yeah. a little bit, what would there be to encourage someone in your position like you were at freshman yeah. year? Yeah, I mean, I just felt like I was just truly in control, like trying to control everything. And, and I was so worried about tons of like exterior worldly things, you know, like whether I was performing good baseball wise, or whether I was liked or, you know, whether I was getting good grades. And I just put so much like pressure on myself where like, I just started to 
it was weird. Like I just started to feel like out of it. And like, I wasn't going to say like drive myself crazy. It wasn't crazy. It's just like, I just couldn't handle it all on my own. That's when I realized that like, I had to find those truths in those in the Bible and like what Jesus like could present to us. And that biggest thing that I found was just that peace and and understanding and confidence that, you know, when you have that relationship with him, like everything's going to be okay, no matter what happens here, like on earth necessarily. So yeah, I mean, so whenever I just go through things now, I understand that like he's there and, and things will be okay and he'll guide me through. Maybe as a good transition in that and how that relates to baseball. And one of the things I was going to note was the difference, at least statistically for you, baseball wise from your freshman to sophomore year, freshman year, which was 2017, you had just 43 at bats that whole season. You didn't have any home runs. You had only one extra base hit that whole season. 2018, the championship season, your sophomore year, you had eight home runs. Your slugging percentage jumped by 200 points that year, and you tied a College World Series record with three home runs just in Omaha alone. So what changed from those seasons? You mentioned a little bit about you as a person and what you relied on. So what changed either in terms of that or just baseball-wise, the coaching, if Pat Casey mentored you or Mm -hmm. something in the box, what was different from 17 to 18? Yeah, I mean – I don't feel like I could like honestly like pinpoint um, one thing and that's kind of just how baseball goes sometimes you know like you know you'll go through phases where you're doing really well and you go through phases where you you play bad and that's just kind of how it is that's what every baseball player is trying to find is that consistency but I don't know like I mean I, I began to truly understand like that peace and understanding and like I wasn't putting so much pressure on myself and I think through that like sophomore year I was able to kind of begin to incorporate and balance and find that um, interconnection between my faith and baseball and stuff like that. But I mean, baseball wise, like, yeah, I mean, what happened, like the, those five home runs, like, because yeah, I hit the five home runs in a row that one game and just even the success in Omaha, like I can't pinpoint it exactly. I feel like the there was a defining factor in Omaha for me, though. And it's a super, it's a super cool story that's connected to with my faith too. But me and my friend Morgan Pearson, who was kind of like Case's left hand man when, when, uh, when he was here, he was helping out the team and stuff. But before we could go onto the field in Omaha, because it's very time, like regulated. It's like you get in on or get, go on on this second, you got to leave on this second type of thing. So we had some time before the practice. So we went up to the top of the stadium and we were looking down over TD Ameritrade and you had the Omaha backdrop behind it. And in that moment, I just feel like, I don't know if you want to say like a voice or like a thought, but I feel like God put it into me somehow where I like heard, look what I've given you. And then so everything from then on, leading into the college world series i felt like i was just so that's the closest i felt to god or jesus and everything like i was just me and morgan were doing like bible studies at like two or three in the morning and stuff like that and then even like when i was playing the games i would just ask him for like the holy spirit to take over and then i'd walk to the plate i would say if god be for us who could be against us and then i could do all things through christ who strengthens me like that was my routine And I was just so locked in and like, I've never experienced it before, like as a baseball player. And that's like something that we're trying to consistently find. But I honestly feel like that was because of how present God felt with me. And um, I felt like everything that I was able to accomplish, like during the World Series itself was because of him. And I would have never expected that to like ever happen in my life. And that moment where you were looking over TD Ameritrade, was that Mm -hmm. before your even first game, the first North Carolina game in the College World Series? 
Yeah. Gotcha. So that was, that was the practice that we had the day before. Gotcha. You felt a certain amount of peace and calmness and confidence about that. And the funny part mm-hmm. is didn't start out well in Omaha because you lost that very next game. And luckily it's a double elimination. So you're in the loser's bracket after losing to North Carolina, you get a chance to play them again the second time around and having Mm -hmm. already lost to them once they Mm -hmm. have a chance to become the 2018 LSU team to you after LSU beat you in 2017, you had already knocked out LSU earlier in the postseason in 2018, but Mm -hmm. now you're trying to avoid a similar scenario in 2018 so in yeah. the eighth inning, you're still trailing by three runs in an elimination game at six to three. Mm-hmm. Adley has a bases clearing double, and yeah, then yeah. your home run in the ninth inning helps push Oregon State to a win. How fast yeah. did it feel for you to go from three runs down in the eighth inning to then winning the game by five runs? I know. So that game's super crazy because that was like, I forgot what we called it exactly. It was either like the magic mist or mystic mist because in Oregon or, you know, Goss, there's tons of times where we're, we're playing in like drizzle, right? And we keep playing and that's just kind of our thing. In Omaha, we remembered it, it started raining like around that time a little bit. And I just remember like all of the guys being like, okay, like it's going to happen. Like this is us, you know, we're, we're getting into that environment and that setting again where something special is going to happen because we felt like a part of Corvallis was was there with us in Omaha and then just everything started to happen yeah like Rutch you know hit that bases clear and double I was hit the home run but it was just cool how we were able to kind of feel that sense of home and like that home field advantage per se in Omaha and then it all just kind of took off. So you beat North Carolina, avoid elimination. You move on to the Mississippi State games where if you beat them, you get on to the Caldred Series finals. It was in the third inning, I think this is the second Mississippi State game, where you were at the plate with two runners on, third inning. You got a hitter's count, 3-1. And you blasted yeah. one to, to right center. Do you remember that yeah. play in the third inning, that at bat, what pitch you got and all that? Yeah, so it was super interesting because I, I remember, yeah, I was facing Ethan Small. And it was kind of that left-on-left thing. And naturally, like, sometimes as left-handed hitters, facing left-handed pitchers, we, like, want to pull off a little bit. So I remember that instance, like, I was just telling myself, keep my direction staying through center field. Because, like, I didn't want to pull off a pitch and miss it. But he gave me a fastball, and it was, like, it was low, but it was like middle away. And I got a swing off on it. And initially, I didn't think it was going to go out. It's funny. If you look back at the replay of it, I'm booking it. Like, I'm booking it around first. I'm, like, booking it basically almost on second. I was running so hard because also the center fielder and the right fielder, they, like, run into each other. There's chaos going on out there. I thought the ball, like, stayed in. And then I looked to to Jenks, the third base coach, and he was, like, clapping his hands. So I looked at him and then looked back, and, like, the outfielders were chilling. And I was like, oh, it must have gone out. So it was just super funny because, yeah, like, I mean, we've rewatched it a couple of times. I'm like, look, like, I'm running, like, as hard as I possibly can because I, I literally thought the ball stayed in the park. It was a similar story with Caden Grenier in game two of the finals where it wasn't his hit. It was Trevor Larnick's line drive, and Caden didn't realize that the ball had gotten out, and he kept sprinting around the bases for a while and realized, oh, we're up five to three. That was a home run. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, as a runner, it's like, we want to just be booking it, especially if it stayed in or whatever. It better be safe than sorry, you know? So let's go to the the finals where you 
have the slate wiped clean at the best of three series against Arkansas. Game one of the College World Series finals, you had a single in the second inning that led to Oregon State scoring first. You took a 1-0 lead in that opening game, and that lead remained until the fourth inning when there were runners on the corners and nobody out. There was that awkward play at second where Adley gets called out for interference. Trevor yeah. back to third. What do you remember about that whole weird situation? Oh, geez, yeah, because like, yeah, because I remember hitting the ball and like I thought I hit, it, I thought I hit it good, but it was like right to the first baseman, and then he threw it a second, and then I was just trying to get to first, right? Because I knew there was a runner on third, and I wanted to beat the throw to first so that runner on third could score. And so I was booking it. I'm pretty sure, like, my instincts took over and, like, I just slid head first or something because I saw the uh, the pitcher or something was covering. So I didn't want to get tagged. So, like, I slid head first and, like, he called me safe and I was like, okay, sick. And then out of nowhere, it's like they start putting everybody back and, like, saying that Rutch didn't – like, I don't really know what happened. Like, I didn't know what happened initially but that all happens and then of course case comes running out right and case is arguing obviously he was probably a little upset about the call but yeah it was just like it's a super it was a super weird situation that I've never like experienced before ever I mean and it's and it's frustrating because Adley like he obviously made an attempt to not take that guy out he was trying to avoid the throw or whatever so it was like a clean play but he still got called out and I mean, but luckily we were, if we wouldn't have won, that would have been a tough situation to swallow. That's for sure. Yeah, it was weird because yeah. even if you do get doubled up since there were no outs, Trevor's yeah. run counts. Oh, the, okay. All the right. only, yeah. even like, it's, and then he has to go back to third because I guess uh -huh. by rule he can't advance when there's interference. And then the next player strikes out. So yeah. it would have, it's crazy. And you do end up losing that game. Luckily, there's a, mm -hmm. another part to the rest of the story. But yeah. at that moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're down one to zero. How frustrated yeah, no, were you after game one? You're down 1-0 before even game mm -hmm. two starts. Can you describe mm -hmm. your, your frustration and your confidence level mentally in, in between there? I mean, we couldn't be like, we couldn't be frustrated. The only thing is, it's like, you can be frustrated in the sense of like motivating you to win the next game, but like we couldn't hang our heads on that game. You know, the past is the past and like you could really only focus on the president at that point. But I team-wise, like, I felt like we were good going into game two. I felt like we kind of just washed it off. I mean, the coaches were good with, like, letting us know that, like, you know, don't hold on to this one. Like, we just have to look to next game. And But, yeah, like, luckily I feel like we kind of made a good transition from that first game with, you know, everything that happened. And it was kind of just a weird game. It kind of reminded me of that first game against North Carolina. That game was just kind of weird too. But luckily, yeah, we were able to get, have a good uh, mindset going into to game two. So in game two, the sixth inning, there's a point where I talked with Jack Anderson about this and he was willing to talk about it as tough as this moment was, but there's mm -hmm. runners on the corners and nobody out. So there's at least yeah. a chance to tie or take the lead here because you're down three to two in the sixth inning elimination game, but a botched bunt turns into a double play and you go scoreless in the sixth inning. Mm -hmm. Did you feel any fear at that point and over the next couple of innings, if, if you remember that play and what you thought of that play and then just the next few innings when you remained trailing three to two? It was an interesting situation because, I mean, at least me personally, it kind of started feeling like the year before again with the LSU game too. Because that game, it's like we just didn't really like do anything. And it was weird because we, we were so confident in ourselves that we would find a way to get it to like, you know, come out on top. But it just didn't happen. So like I just felt like in that moment, I was kind of experiencing that again. And I, I would probably assume that other guys were kind of feeling the same thing. But at the same time, it's like those feelings 
would generate us and push us to like try to overcome the situation that we were in because I didn't want to go through that again. I bet nobody else wanted to go through that again. So just kind of that, that similar point, I felt like kind of started to motivate us to get something done. Obviously, the inning that's most memorable is the ninth inning of game two. There's Zach Taylor's walk. There's Zach Clayton pinch running, getting around to third base where he yeah. was at when Caden hit the foul ball that didn't get caught. Then Caden single through the six yeah. hole, then Trevor's home run. And all of a sudden you're leading five to three. Uh, mm-hmm. You didn't have any at bat that whole inning. So you're just chilling in the dugout, yeah. I guess, and watching the whole ninth inning. There's a lot of plays there, but what is your lasting memory of that ninth inning, the moment that stands out most when you think about top of the ninth inning game two? Well, yeah, so like I just kind of got the chills thinking about it. But like so when so when that ball drops, any person who has been around the game or like understands kind of those game within the game type of baseball things, when that ball dropped, I instantly knew like Caden was going to get a hit. It's like you can't you can't allow a guy, a player as good as him in that moment to get a second life. So that ball dropped. And I'm telling you, like that dugout was like, it wasn't like we were screaming and like super excited. It was like, oh, dang, that just happened. And we were all looking at each other, but it was just kind of like a common understanding. Okay, something special might happen. And, you know, he got that hit and we're all freaking out. I've just never had more adrenaline and everything in my life. We're going crazy. And then, I mean, when Trevor hit his home run, our entire dugout was basically on the foul line, like the first baseline. (laughs) Because, I mean, I even remember watching the videos, like, I kind of blur, but I somehow end up all the way out there because, and like everyone else is there too. And then Trevor comes in, we're all wagging him and banging him and he spikes his helmet. Gosh, yeah, like, I mean, I even get like riled up thinking about it right now because I've never experienced that much hype and adrenaline in my life. It still just boggles the mind how absurd at that stage of game two of the College World Series and a game that would have been a classic if it was the third game of spring training. Like, it's just an absurd game to have in that moment. The one question I ask everybody is confidence level after game two. The series is tied. Uh In one sense, there's a 50-50 chance that you or them are going to win. But did it feel like a 50-50 chance for game three? Oh, no. Like, we we knew. Like, gosh. Like, we – I mean, there's so much riding off of that game from a team perspective, right? And just how we've had to battle. Because that's the cool thing about that team, too. Like, everybody truly understood their role. You know, we had our guys. You know, we had the starters. We had the guys. But, like, even the guys who weren't playing, like – because I even remember that being that you have to be a bench guy who provides energy and hypes everything up. So because, like I said before, energy is so big in baseball. Or if Case called a guy to bunt or like Zach Clayton getting that opportunity to pinch run, it's like everybody understood their role so much and so well. Everybody was so selfless on that team. And then when you saw how we were able to battle and battle and battle and use each and every one of us to get through those games made it so much more special too and I feel like there was so much confidence going into that third game because we saw how that developed and like how it was working and yeah I mean just that that third game like going into it and just Kevin they weren't touching him and it was like that third game was crazy to me because game two was so big and huge especially looking back at it that was our college world series that was our moment because that third game it's like Kevin was dealing like nobody was touching him you know, we were able to put up like five runs. So, and it was like five zero, like that's a good, especially with our pitching. Like we knew, you know, like things were going well. 
And then the ninth inning rolls around and it's like, oh, dang, it's the ninth inning. Oh, and, and I mean, another thing playing that the third game, like weirder compared to the second game was half the stands were there. Half the Arkansas fans left, right? So those, those first two games, the entire stadium was red and they were doing their woo thing. Their fan base was unreal. And then after that second game, right, they all leave and they're like, what does that tell your team? And like, that just told us, oh, they don't have faith in them or like they think it's over. But I think it was like a weekday and then people probably had to get back to work. But still, we use that. Like, that's how we had to think about it. But yeah, and then, you know, the ninth inning rolls around and and then it was like, oh, wait, like, here's the ninth inning. Oh, there's two outs. Oh, it's like, oh, you know, Kev got the last strikeout. Like, let's go out there. And then, you know, we, we dogpiled and, you know, that was a blurry moment too. You know, we're all just jumping on each other. And, but yeah, it was, it was a weird dynamic between game two and three. Yeah, the game three it probably does feel like more of a blur. There are fewer maybe singular moments that stand out so much like Caden's foul ball, but the broader scope of Kevin Abel nine innings and consistent mm-hmm. offense and putting up five runs kind of was the story of that day. So like you mentioned, how the celebration was a blur. What about how the championship has affected you in the year since then? Uh, there may be life lessons that you've taken away from what it means to achieve success at the highest level and what you've realized about yourself as a person. Kyle Novak shared about how success can't make you happy. You have to be happy prior to that and success fills into it. Um, You know, each player is a different takeaway. Gretler and Kwani Mm -hmm. had their own that were also really compelling. And for you though, what maybe was a a realization of, oh, a championship feels like this. and, And I learned this from achieving a college world series. Was there anything in particular for you? Um, I mean, it was crazy. Like, yeah, you got to just enjoy the moment and, you know, take it in for what it's worth. You know, I mean, that that parade after and everything like that was absolutely amazing. And then even the weeks prior, like, I mean, I'm still like experiencing it, but like, I would definitely have to agree with Kyle. I wanted to call him Dale because that's what we call him. But uh, it's something that fulfills you in the moment but it's like you know you're always you know striving for something you know like you know time keeps going and stuff so you have to find those things in yourself to like keep you going and everything and just kind of like being present and you know find that internal thing that you know keeps you going each day but uh but yeah I mean that that's such a cool takeaway right like Winning a college world series is something that like not a lot of people could can say they did and and just doing it with those guys and and having that relationship like that's a cooler thing too, because it like, it brings us, I mean, every college team is going to have that bond and that relationship, but being able to share with a group of guys that day in and day out, you're grinding with where it's like months and months and months prior, you know, this was the objective objective you were trying to accomplish. And because I mean, it it even started in the fall. We, uh, we would always break on finish um, because we felt like the year before when we lost to LSU, like we didn't get the job done. So it was basically like finish the job was our thing. And, and just to be able to accomplish that goal with those guys, you know, whether it's the 6 a.m. weights or practice every day or just, you know, hanging out with the guys and and just being a team, it was just so cool that kind of – it was just like a byproduct and kind of like that icing on the cake type of thing where it's – that was the moment that all of this other stuff came up to. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, like, I will remember and enjoy all of the moments and months prior to the College World Series – just as much as winning the college world series itself right it's it's something that only you and your teammates and other people who won the college world series would know how does it affect you and how does it impact you everyone else only has to guess so that's Mm -hmm. that's how it impacted you how by the way i know i'm familiar with Novak's nickname jarhead but how did dale come about 
Dale, I don't know. I think it was a stepbrothers thing, honestly. Uh, oh, yeah, because it's Dale Doback, right? Dale Doback, and his last name's Noback. And so, like, out of nowhere, like, I, I believe, like, Kyle just started saying Dale, like, all the time at practice. He would just start saying Dale. And so it just stuck. And, like, everybody just started calling him Dale or Dale Doback or, or whatever. But, yeah, it's funny how things stick like that. Especially within a baseball team, there's such a – gosh, anything could turn into anything, honestly. <laughs> right. Last thing, uh, now that you're a year out from the program, in terms of the relationships that you've kept and who you've stayed closest mm -hmm. with, I'm sure you're friendly with all the guys where if you see them, you say, hey, but who are the yes. guys that – you are still regularly having phone conversations with in the evening or texting every week or who are the couple of guys you've stayed closest with uh, from that team? Um, I mean, so you got my roommates. Uh, so my three years there, Joe Zaleski and I'm not Joe Zaleski, Joe Casey and Zach Zaleski were um, the, the, the two that maintained throughout my three years. So I stay in touch or stay in touch with them quite a bit. I, um Brandon Iser I lived with last year I stay in touch with him we have because the thing is it's like we have these uh like Snapchat group messages now right so it's super easy to kind of keep in touch and like you know send something funny to a guy or you know send a picture or you know just kind of keep in touch and say small talk uh you know same thing like um you know I see because I see you know George I mean, luckily I'm not at home or not. Well, I am at home, but I'm not in Oregon. And then, so there's tons of Oregon guys up there. So I've seen, you know, you know, Verberg and Taylor and Rutch and, you know, even Mendezona sometimes have been able to, to keep in touch and they'll go golfing or whatever. So, and then they'll record a guy and, you know, I'll like, you know, say a little comment just to kind of mess with them. Um, and it's just like stuff like that, you know, just like seeing how guys are. Um, I mean, it was like Alex McGarry's birthday yesterday, like wishing him happy birthday, stuff like that. Uh, but it's just kind of cool because you understand that those guys are going to be a part of your life, like no matter what, you know, um, I feel like some of the best relationships come from, you know, the people you don't always have to keep in touch with, but then when you, you know, you do reach out to them, it's like nothing's changed. And um, that's why I feel with, uh, you know, basically everybody on that team. It's funny. You mentioned the golf thing because Zach Taylor brought up, uh, I was talking with him yesterday and ZT was like yeah. something about making fun of Nick Madrigal and posting golf videos or tagging him in uh, funky golf swing videos. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I yeah. don't know what it is about golf, but he just <laughs> makes fun of them a whole lot. It's, I mean, it's funny, like, uh, because of everything that's going on right now, like 10 of us are golfing. Uh, you know, I'm probably golfing at least once or twice a week now. Um, but it's just funny, like, yeah, because those guys up there will all get together and they'll go golfing. And that's the thing, like, not a lot of baseball players are good at golf, like, at all. Like, the, the swings are totally different. Like, I literally, like, when I was younger, I thought the golf – or I thought golf was the devil. Like, I wouldn't even touch a golf club because I felt like it would mess up my swing entirely. And, oh, I'm uppercutting, blah, 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 where it's like, okay, that's not the actual reality of it. But uh, I've been able to manage between both of them now. But it's just super funny because, like, the swings are bad, like – I mean, I can't drive a ball to save my life when my hands are together. And luckily, because of top golf, I've been able to do – like, if it wasn't for top golf, I wouldn't be golfing right now because I've been able to do so much trial and error at top golf because I don't have to worry about the losing the ball that, you know, I figured some stuff out or enough stuff to basically, like, be able to kind of play um, and not lose that many balls. I mean, I'm still losing balls, but, but it's funny because I realized that uh, – when, when I drive, I have to do like a split grip kind of like hockey style thing 
um, to keep the ball in the fairway or else it's I'm either not hitting it off the tee, it's either going four feet in front of the tee or it's in the house. So, yeah, it's funny. Well, it's fun to catch up with you and, and hear about what you got going on with the Padres and reminisce about 2018. So thanks so much for joining me and talking about all this stuff and best of luck the rest of your pro career with the, the Padres organization. Thanks, Tyler. No, no problem, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me. Go Bees, baby. Pretty awesome to talk with a spunky outfielder turned catcher, Tyler Malone. And I wish him the best in his pro baseball career with the Padres and whatever he may get his hands on after he eventually retires from baseball, which happens to all these guys. And some of these players have already done that. Guys like Michael Gretler and Kyle Novak, maybe they're involved in baseball, but not as players anymore. And some of them, like Tyler Malone, are still making it work in the professional ranks. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Beaver Tales podcast, baseball and more, trying to spread it around to all the Beaver sports that Oregon State offers. Until next time on the podcast, I'm Josh Warden. Good night and go Beavers.